listening to Lead Defend, the podcast designed to help you grow in faith and leadership as you navigate the stages of your young adulthood. We address important faith topics and provide practical life tips, helping you build your faith as you engage in a changing culture. Here are your hosts, Seth Tucker and Ryan Scantling. Hey guys, welcome to the Lead Defend Podcast. We're excited because today we have Alicia Wood, and then of course I'm Ryan, and this is Seth. And Alicia, people at the end of this are going to want to follow you, and they can do that on Twitter or Facebook. Alicia Wood, A L I C Y A, A L Y C I A. Blew it. Wood. That's okay. It's my mother's Wood. fault, not yours. So Wood, singular, not plural. <laughs> and then. 88. And so you follow her on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the good stuff. Now, the 88 comes from where? Uh, so the 88 comes from actually my ice hockey number because um, I played ice, ice hockey. hockey for like 27 because years. Because you look like a ferocious ice hockey player. <laughs> yeah. I know. So my mother, um, I was the firstborn, and my mother longs for a girly girl. Yeah? Yeah, so she longs for the dresses and, um, you know, all of the things that make you very pretty. And, and so I was in beauty pageants when I was younger, and I went to, like, etiquette school, and this is how you walk, and this is how you turn, this is where the knife and all these things go. <laughs> and she tried so hard. And then I, but I was always like that tomboy. Like yeah. I wanted to play sports. I wanted to climb trees. I wanted to ride on a bicycle and fall off and get a scrape. So I thought scrapes yeah. were really cool, sure. man. You were oh, tough man. and you got a scrape. So anyways, when I was about uh, 14 or maybe 12, something like that, I told my mother I wanted to play hockey. And I think she finally surrendered and gave up. But um, yeah, so she had me in beauty pageants. I had pictures here, modeling here dresses all these things i she put me in violin at like four years old and i did all these things and you still play violin. i still play violin okay right. so she, maybe she won out a little bit sure because yeah. i still play violin and i play an orchestra at my church but hockey and sports yeah. were always my thing i would have honestly i would have done football oh That's really like, i would have done football if oh, there was like girl man. football leagues i yes. would totally been like a wide receiver um, oh, or something like sure. that. Like catching was my strength and speed was my strength but you've never played fiddle we talked about this a little bit before yeah. the show <laughs> You've never played fiddle. It, it, we don't even, I don't even know what a violin is. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you put a Rochester, New York person yeah. into Arkansas, right? Yeah. They don't even sure. know completely sure. different languages. Yeah, no, I've never called it a fiddle. It's always been a violin. Okay. Um, but yeah, apparently some people do. And right now you're in Atlanta, and I you've been in Atlanta a couple years, Three travel and speak to a lot of different folks uh, just defending the faith. Absolutely. A lot of different age groups. Um, mostly U.S. and Canada, some international in terms of even further than Canada. Um, but yeah, just some people as Christians, you know, this is such a, a challenging culture um, mm. and challenging time and helping Christians as they wrestle with, how do I know that what I believe is true actually yeah. is true? Yeah. yeah. And a lot of the challenges and pressures um, from culture um, and just from societal pressures and peers and helping them process through a lot of that. And let alone trying to share your faith, to trying yeah. to do evangelism in mm. this kind of culture. People just don't even so know. So, What was your first experience with apologetics? Yeah, so I, I you know, it's funny because I actually, it's, I'm one of those people that, you know, you kind of feel like sometimes you were like born to do something. Mm -hmm. I remember just, I grew up in church and I went to Sunday school and went to, you know, church regularly. Um, but I remember when I was a teenager, maybe like 16, 17, I had this, like, I started a notebook and I'd never heard of the field of apologetics. I didn't know anything about theology. I didn't know about like all the books on theology. I didn't know any of that, but I just knew when somebody asked me a question, um, about the faith, I need to be able to answer it. Yeah. yeah. So my, so I started this book where I was going to look up answers to these questions. So my very first question was why would God allow suffering? 
Yes. And that was just came from me. Like if somebody asked me, I gotta know what to say. And so I would, and then I would go go to page my like table of contents. I'd go to the page, and then all I had was the Bible. I didn't mm. know that you yeah. could read these other theology books. Mm. I didn't know there was philosophers doing this stuff. So I just would scour the Bible for like verses yeah. and teachings and just understandings as to what I could say to somebody. Or if somebody said, what do you need to do to be a Christian? Or do I need works to be saved? Like once again, I'd go back to the Bible and I'd mm. find answers and I would put all these wow. verses and answers in this notebook. And then when I was into, when I went to college, I went to a Christian college, I had to do a paper and I was in the library. And one of the books I pulled off the shelf was a book called The Case for Faith by Lee Strobel. Yeah. And I'm opening up and they, I see people answering this question, why would God have suffering or, or send people to hell, whatever the questions were there. And all of a sudden there was names to this. And these were people mm, yeah. that had degrees in philosophy and seminary degrees. And then there was, on the back of the book, it talks about the field as apologetics. And the, for the first time, what I'd been doing, I had a name to it. Yeah. Wow. And I had no idea. So I actually, um, that was kind of what launched me into saying, it's apologetics. That's what I'd love to do. Mm, yeah. I was doing it on my own, thinking through it on my own, but now there's actually a name to it. And that was what kind of launched me I'm into it. And so actually I did get to meet Lee Strobel about um, wow. four or five years ago. And I just ran up to him and said, I've been wanting to meet you <laughs> so many years. And I just want to tell you my story because I do apologetics full time now, but you were such a part of yep. me getting where I was. That's so incredible. it was really cool. Do you, you still have the notebook? I absolutely do have the notebook. Okay. And oh, when wow. I went to school for apologetics, I brought that notebook. It was wow. a five, one of those like five subject notebooks. Yep. And so I only really got through the first subject. Okay. So I had four other subjects to get that were empty, and that's what I brought with me when I studied apologetics. No that way. Same notebook so that you I had filled with it up. Yeah, it's mostly filled up now. Sure. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. incredible. Isn't that cool? So, so do you ever really go back cool. and look and like, oh man, younger Alicia? Uh, I don't know that I had some of these things figured out. You know, I, it's interesting because because what I had at the time was just using scripture verses. Sure, yeah. And it was just the Lord just helping teach me through those. And so I didn't unpack things nowhere near to the extent that I would, would yeah. now. But I had references and I had verses. Yeah. And so sometimes I even go back to those things. Um, or I'd see a TV show and I'm like, ooh, I could use that analogy one day. Once again, one day for what? Sure. I didn't know what I was talking about. But I was like, if anybody ever asked me, I could use that analogy. Yeah. So there's analogies I use from before I even started apologetics. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I could be really helpful. And well, what else is cool about that is many times when you get deeper into apologetics, yeah. you end up asking questions and answering questions that people aren't asking. Yeah. And that goes back and you see the questions that you were asking. Wow. That and is you a good can word. address those again. Well, I only ask that because yeah. fourth grade Ryan's journal <laughs> had some crazy <laughs> thoughts. Oh. And... Uh, yeah, I just look back and think, man, I was an idiot. Oh, yes. that's, that's okay, so, friend. It's all right. Yeah, okay. It's, it's all right. I don't think my journal had anything to do with spiritual things. Oh, you were just drawing pictures. I was. <laughs> yeah. Stick figures. Called it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, keep in mind, I loved Calvin and Hobbes at the same time. <laughs> okay, so okay. I was, still, I was still a kid, you know. <laughs> for, for all the Gen Z folks, Calvin and Hobbes was oh, this yeah, like right. cartoon oh. that used to show up in yes. newspapers, Dating which were myself. these paper was things that you would read. Yeah, yeah. Totally it's on an myself. iPad now. If you really want. <laughs> yes, great comics. <laughs> well, the question that we wanted to bring up and to talk about with you is is the idea of the hiddenness of God. It's the idea that if God wants to reveal Himself to humanity, why has He made it so hard to find Himself? Yeah. And so, just like let's just throw that out there. Yeah. Why has God made it so hard to find Himself? Yeah. You know. Um, I, this was a question in my first few years of actually beginning to do full-time apologetics. This is one of the questions that kept coming up. I was living in Boston at the time and people would say, you know, why do I need God and why is he not more obvious? And I kept mm. giving these questions over and over again. 
Um, and so I sat down, you know, one day or kind of just had a compilation of different thoughts I'd gathered over time and just kind of put some thoughts together and titled this whole kind of um, kind of talk on it. I titled it, Does God Play Hide and Seek? Because I think sometimes that's how we envision what God, what our relationship, our quest for God is. Yeah. We envision it as if, you know, that game of hide and seek where you go up to a tree, you close your eyes, you open your eyes, and you wander around trying to figure out where somebody is, but you have no clue where to go. Hmm. Um, and they're like, see, like there's no way for us to figure out who God is. We're just aimlessly wandering around this earth. And I was like, you know what? That's how so many people envision it. But I think Christianity paints a different picture. I think what it tells us is when you close your eyes, you count 30, you open your eyes, you start wandering. You may not know where to go, but then all of a sudden you hear warmer. You're getting warmer, warmer or colder, colder. In other words, you're getting hints that while you can't fully see what's there, hmm. you're getting hints that there's something that is, you know, and that's how Christianity I think paints a picture of our quest, our search for God, yeah. is that he gives us clues and he gives us hints of his existence, enough so that we will say, let me begin to go in this direction. Mm. And I think one of the one of the the best ways he does it is through nature, through yeah. creation. Yeah. Um, I love I love nature, I love creation, I love um, the ocean, you know. Um, my favorite whales are orcas, they're killer whales. And while this may be bad theology, in my next life I'm gonna be a mermaid and swim with an or orca whale. That's, okay. what, that's what my dream is. We're just gonna swim and have fun and do like those amazing like free willy jumps in the air and all that kind of stuff. That's what I'm gonna yeah. do, I'm gonna swim with orcas. But anyways, I love the, or the ocean, I love those things. And you know, you see you see something as majestic as that, or you see a breeze and a feel of breeze in the air, or you see a forest and you're like, man, I may not that doesn't mean that Jesus died and rose from the dead, but it just makes you almost have a sense of like awe. Like mm. like almost like you have the sense of like maybe there's something bigger or the sense in which you want to connect with something that's bigger because yeah. you're kind of aware of this something that's greater in nature. Nature feeling like the sense of, of greatness over you and like I wanna connect with it. I had a friend who um uh, as an atheist, and I asked him once, I said, you know, has there ever been a time in your life where you wished that uh, there was God, that God existed? Hmm. And he was like, nope. There's never been a time in my life where I wish there was a God. He said, but you know, there have been times in my life when I've been struck by the beauty of creation, wow. and I'm sorry that there was no one to thank. Hmm. And I was like, wow, that's powerful. Isn't that yeah. something? And I'm like, that's exactly it. It's like yeah. creation, which isn't giving us any verbal response, is almost drawing out a verbal response from us thank the creator of it yeah and it's this little bit of a hint where god is saying maybe there is something more than what you think exists and it just begins yeah. us on that path right sure. and, and even in in within humanity there's the desire for goodness and truth and beauty yes. and and the desire for something that does take your breath away and and that partners with creation it does to, to see that there is something that was created to link that all together and it's it's all linked together by the design and creation of God. You know, you use, I think you use the word beauty and yeah. I you know, one thing I find, I've become convinced that in order to fully experience the beauty of something, you have to kind of know the, the creator behind it. So here's just a quick mm -hmm. example. You go to an art museum and you see yeah. this amazing painting, you're like, that's amazing. What's your first question is, who painted it? Sure. And it's like, why does that come out of you? Why is it that we instinctively want to know who the artist is? Because there's a part of a, that experience that yeah. isn't complete mm. unless we know whose name is stamped on that painting. Yeah. And so I think, you know, 
God stamping his name on creation, God stamping his name on us without us mm. knowing who the author of this is. There's a sense in which we don't feel fully complete in experiencing this world around us or experiencing yeah. the human that's right in front of us. And so I think these are, these are this is one of the ways in which God is drawing us through this general idea of there's something there that while he's not being so in your face, here I am, but drawing us a little bit more, a little bit deeper into that quest to know that something's there. Sure, but, but you said it. Why doesn't he make it more in our face? Yeah. Like, like, why isn't it just there in right. front of us right. that's so apparent that you can't escape it? So so people say to me, you know, Alicia, that's cute, but yeah, give me a lightning bolt. Like, yeah. like just strike his lightning bolt in front of me. Let me know that you're there, God. Just give me the lightning bolt. I'll see it. Boom, I know. Mm. So it's interesting because I think sometimes we think that we are such a unique group of people. And if there's one thing I've learned in my <clears throat> years of life is that, um, <laughs> is that, you know, that, that famous saying about if you don't know history that you're doing to repeat it, mm -hmm. uh, we really don't necessarily know our history and we ask the same questions or we have the same demands that we think will somehow satisfy us. But when you look back, you see actually it doesn't. It doesn't. You can actually look into the Old Testament. And there's a time when, 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 when Moses led the people into the wilderness and, <laughs> and, and God comes on the mountain and he, it's shaking and there's thunder and there's lightning and there's an earthquake. People actually know it's God yeah. with yeah. all this noise and ruckus. And they say to Moses, you go talk to him because if we go, we will die. In other words, when God yeah. came strongly like this lightning bolt that people want, people didn't run towards him. They ran away from him. Wow. And so, and what's even more revealing about that situation is they knew it was God. Yep. Yeah. So now I'm walking down the street, I'm demanding my lightning bolt from God. He gives me my lightning bolt. Am I really gonna run towards a lightning bolt because sure. he gave me that proof of his existence? Or am I gonna run the other way because now I'm terrified? Mm. Oh, and not to mention the Israelites in that moment, they just, you know, moments later are worshiping a false God because they reject the one that they know is up on the mountain. And so even, even a lightning bolt doesn't like change man's heart from the point of rejecting God, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, and that's Romans one, two, and three right there, right? As he's revealed himself in nature, mm -hmm. but yet we still reject him. Mm -hmm. And so we reject the, the truth that's right in front of us, that this is the proof and evidence of a creator. So, exactly. Man. Exactly. Um, so you described finding God or seeking God, like hide and seek, but really more so like hot and cold. I grew up thinking- <laughs> Marco Polo. Well, Marco Polo. Marco Polo, yes, yeah. But I grew up thinking that, you know, finding God was more like the floor is lava. You know what I mean? Uh, like, you better find a high point because it's about to burn. You know what I mean? Uh, you better stay away from that hot place. Yeah, just stay away from that hot place, man. No, uh, the truth is um, apologetics, though, yeah. when we're really getting down to it, Apologetics is an integral piece to the Christian faith for many reasons. Yeah. And and I just want you to map out a few of those reasons for us. Like why is apologetics important to the Christian and their mm. spiritual maturity? Yeah. Oh, wow. So, you know, I think if I could gather, you know, all the pastors in America together, I think there was two, there would be two things I would say to them. Um, I would say number one, if you could focus on these two things, it would be so life-changing in our in our Christian body. Number one, focus on your men. Um, we have a country right now that loves to emasculate men, loves to say they're not important. Um, I just think that's so unbiblical. You know, we've got songs, I'm every woman, it's all in me. 
right? Mm-hmm. Or independent woman, right? I, you know, I, this idea of like, I can do my own thing. Um, I don't need anybody else. I can raise 10 kids. My own. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And while it is true um, that women can do so much, mm-hmm. um, I don't think the way that we raise or elevate the, the, um, the value of women is by devaluing something else. Wow. I think we can raise them both together. And so I think what's happening a lot of times is um, we have a culture that is that is making us very imbalanced. Mm-hmm. And, is, and, and so what's happening is you have a lot of women in the church, you've got a lot of um, women in marriages where maybe the men aren't as strong or in relationships, and you've got this imbalance, and it's because um, almost like maybe have the men not find a home or the country or the world's saying they're not that important or they're all bad or they all hate women or whatever right. it might be. And so I would love for a biblical view of men, sure. manhood yeah. to actually permeate our culture yeah. in some way. Um, and the second thing I would, I would tell pastors is um, focus on the, the spiritual maturity of our, of our, just body of, of the yeah. members. Um, you know, we, I think we, we stay on the milk level a bit, too long Mm -hmm. and what happens is the culture goes deeper with the philosophy and the science and the christian worldview still hovers on the milk and so what happens is then we've got a lot of milk christians who've been in church for 20 years and they encounter a philosopher or they count or some or just an average person who thinks philosophically or thinks rationally or thinks scientifically and the christian has no concept as to how to deal with those things, how to address those things, because yeah. they haven't rationally th- thought through their Christian faith. Sure. That's right. And so what happens is this happens lots with our teenagers, and then they get to college, and they've grown up in mommy daddy's home, they've gone to YouTube, they've done all these things, and they get to college, and also they're challenged with questions in ways that they haven't heard before to think through Christianity rationally, and they don't know what to say, and they walk away, and then I get, I walk in one day, and I've got an audience of Christians who's walked away. Wow. And I'm constantly, as the apologist, trying to help, you know, shatter some of those um, false lies that have been said about Christianity to them and that kind of thing. I would love it if we spent more time making connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Sure, the sacrifice of Isaac is a story that makes all of us slightly cringe, but boy, is it an amazing foreshadow of what's to come. You've got this lamb here that, that is sacrificed instead of Isaac. And if you read the text, it talks about how Abraham went, um, um, that that Abraham sacrifices a ram, yeah. and he doesn't yeah. sacrifice a lamb. He sacrifices a ram. But when he's walking up, he says, "God will provide the lamb for the sacrifice." Yeah. Those are two different things. Yeah. You know, like a ram is an adult male, a lamb is a baby male or female. And so you have Abraham, maybe not even fully knowing what he's saying about God's provide the lamb for the sacrifice, ends up sacrificing a ram, which is which is like that doesn't make sense. Either Abraham's wrong, the Bible's wrong, something's wrong. But because it's actually because he's pointing to another lamb that's coming. Yeah. You know, can making connections like yeah. making a story that makes people cringe that they say is like infanticide mm. and actually showing it but it's pointing towards something else that one day a real lamb will be sacrificed yeah. and there and and that and the one day then that person that lamb is going to be called the lamb the whole lamb of god takes away the sin of the world mm. and you know and god isn't going to withhold the, the knife at that point and this kind of things yeah. you know we're talking about you know the significance of the conquest and things that happened and the exiles that happened and how that influenced the prophets like anything where we're going deeper and getting people to think mm. you know um and that's, that's, that's be also so why many great thinkers don't stick around in christianity very long and and if that sounds bad i it, it might need to 
because we haven't challenged the mind very often yeah. in the church. Mm-hmm. And, and if we focus in on apologetics, we keep those, those great minds, you know, encountering scripture and yeah. encountering ideas that, that apologetics offers. Yeah. But yet we just ne- have neglected. Yes. And so, uh, Alicia, you brought up something yeah. that I, I would love to park on just for a moment. So you talked about the maybe high school student that transitions into college or that next phase of life. And all of a sudden they start hearing challenges. Yeah. And the moment they hear challenges, oftentimes they don't know what to do with they it. They don't. So if you could speak directly to that, that student that has either heard a challenge or is about to hear a challenge. Yeah. What, what should their initial response to a challenge be? Because far too often it's, yep. I'm just going to tuck tail and run. Yes. So your initial response should be, do not freak out. Mm. Do not panic. It's okay. Remember that because you don't know the answer to a question doesn't mean that there isn't an answer to a question. Mm. And so sometimes we get so scared, like, oh my goodness, they asked me a question. I don't know what to do. Must be Christianity is not true. And we just freak out. Don't freak out. It's okay. I've been doing this for seven and a half years now, and there's still questions I get asked that I don't know the answer to. Mm. You will always not know an answer. So what you do, you say, that's a great question. I have no idea what the answer to your question is, but can you give me some time to go look it up and I'll get back to you. And that's the best answer because what you've just done is you've just started a conversation with the person because now you've just scheduled a meeting for you to go look, look at the answer, come together in a few weeks, sit down, talk about it, have them ask you more questions, and when you get to another question you don't know, you write that down, say, I'm gonna get back to you. You go look it up, and you've, cause now you've got a continual conversation going. Wow. Getting a question you know the answer to is a great launch pad into a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would I would say, don't don't panic, don't freak out, this is an open door. And for you to be able to, to go further in understanding what you believe, but also be able to teach it and explain it. So don't panic. And the second thing is, go look for answers. There's a lot of things out there. Mm. A lot of things within, in regards to apologetics, in regards to theology, a lot of YouTube videos, a lot of websites. One Minute Apologist is a great website. They've got very short minute answers, of one minute answers to, to various questions. That's a great website to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot out there. Reasonable Faith, William Lane Craig's website. So there's people who have answered these questions. So mm-hmm. don't panic, yeah. just go find the answer and now you know one more. Absolutely. Uh, Alicia, if you could give one word, like a final statement to the next generation. I I mean, this group of folks, Gen Z, that's coming up and not just future church leaders, but current church leaders, what what would you say to them and what would you implore them to do? Who would you implore them to be? Hmm. Well, I guess if I could have a final word to them, I think, let me go, let's go back then maybe to our original kind of question about the hiddenness of God. Yeah. Because I think the nature piece only gets us maybe on the pathway, Mm. but it doesn't reveal to us what's at the end of the path. And I think, you know, when we look at the, the person of Jesus, when we look at the Bible itself, we have a God who specifically reveals and shows himself to us in and teaches us in that text about who he is. Mm. And he doesn't come to us as a lightning bolt so that we're scared and run. He doesn't come to us as an earthquake so that we get scared and run. He comes to us as a baby. And babies are magnets. It's like the opposite. Like <laughs> a woman with a baby walks in the room and it's like the whole room flocks to the baby. It's the exact opposite of us running. Yeah. And he comes in a way in which we're drawn to him. Mm. And and so I find the just the character of Jesus and the way that God chooses to reveal himself to us 
so hopeful for us because it lets us know that in this time and culture where we feel, you know, it's cancel culture. When you mess up, oh man, you, your name is erased from history and that's how it should be. In other words, your mess up defines your whole life. Wow. And we have a gospel message that actually teaches something very different that says you are not defined by your sins. You're not defined by the worst things that you ever do. Hmm. You're defined by whose name is on you. Going back hmm. to that painting. Yeah. That's where your value is. That's where your worth comes from. And so you have a culture that wants to cancel you and you have a, and you have a, a God who says, I knew that you would do those sins and I loved you anyways. Yeah. So you're not canceled because there's yeah. nothing that's changed, nothing that surprised me. Or a culture that is struggling with um, self-worth and depression and loneliness and just feeling like nobody cares and nobody sees. And yet you have a God who, Jesus, who in, in, in the garden felt abandonment by friends, who garden was under such duress and such stress before his crucifixion that he was sweating blood, like knows what it's like to feel abandonment, knows what it's, what it's like to cry out to God and feel like you're still lying there just kind of just in such stress and agony and nobody cares. And yet, he still trusts, he, well, he is Jesus. I mean, he is divine, but he still follows what God has for him in spite of the pain. You have a God who knows how to suffer, in other words. He wow. knows what it's like to go through these pain, through this pain. And, and a God who says, when you're in that dark tunnel that you feel like you can't get out of, don't sit down. That's the worst thing you can do. Keep walking because there's always an exit. You gotta keep walking, the light will come. Mm. And that, so you have a God who gives hope to a generation that is struggling with, with sadness and depression and anxiety, and all of these things, all of these feelings of loneliness. And who says, you know, when, you're, when you feel like your, your heart can't beat, you know, I will beat it for you. That is what that is what this Jesus offers so many people. And so what would I say to this future generation is it is really hard to do this life with what's being thrown at us without holding without having a, a biblical framework or a worldview, forget biblical framework, a worldview that tells you, that directs you about who you are, who, who your identity is, how you should live your life, whether or not your life has meaning and importance. Mm. Um, what, and it gives you a hope. It gives you a hope. Because the reality is, friends, is no matter what happens on this earth, nothing can change the guaranteed future over what's to come, which is an eternity of Jesus Christ. Yeah. No matter how bad it gets here, nothing can change that. Because yeah. that is not dependent upon earthly events. So I would tell you, this, these younger generations, like, you try, you, you'll try, you will probably try, you won't listen to me and that's fine, you'll try and go <laughs> as long as you can for a few years in that state without it. Yeah. And I will tell you, eventually you're gonna get yourself to a point where it is really hard to wake up in the morning. Mm. It's really hard to find joy, find value, find worth in the, in the community around you and you're gonna have to ground it somewhere and I'm gonna tell you, you'll come back to those scriptures and that's okay, that's where, that's where you should come back to because that is the truth. That is the way and that's the life. Yeah, Alicia, thank you so much for being with thank us. You. Thank you. Now, people can find you on Twitter and Twitter Facebook. And Facebook. Yep. And, and they can search what to Al find you there? Alicia Wood 88. <laughs> A L Y C I A Wood 88. 88. And hey, we want you to connect to Alicia. We're going to put that in the show notes and also her talk from Lead to Finn this year. Yes. You don't want to miss it. Hey, thank you so much for being Thanks, with us. Thanks, We've you. so enjoyed having you. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks. That's it for this episode of Lead Defend. Until next time, check out our website at leaddefend.org for details on the next Lead Defend conference or shoot Seth and Ryan an email at leaddefend at absc.org. 
If you want to help us out, rate and review Lead Defend on your podcast app. And make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening. Now go lead. A podcast from the Arkansas Baptist State Convention.